Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Submission of the wife to the husband follows the model of the church's submission to Jesus Christ. We've seen that. There's your marriage, and then there's the ultimate marriage. And your marriage is designed based on the ultimate marriage of Christ the bridegroom and we his bride. Also, the dynamics in marriage of headship and submission happen to be exampled, or an example of it is found in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to take some time today and talk about this this biblical view of submission, because we men, we need to understand what this is, and of course, wives and those who may become wives need to understand what this is. So first of all, submission does not mean putting your husband in the place of Christ. That would be a terrible sin. That would be a terrible mistake. Now, I know it says here, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, it means Jesus is the reason you do what you do. In other words, it's not submit to your husbands because he's your Lord, but as to the Lord. So just like any believer in the world does anything, we do what we do to the glory of God. So when I submit to any authority, and it might be a a very disagreeable authority, a very unworthy authority in terms of the person wielding that authority, I do it as to the Lord. My faith is in you, and I listen to you, and I learn from you, and I want to honor this person that maybe is very dishonorable. I will honor this person according to their authority, according to the place, because of you. That's the idea. And then it occurs also that other kind of shocking statement, verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything? Come on now. This does not mean a husband has the right to demand whatever he wants. It means every department of your life together with your husband. The two become One. So what happens to the one happens to the both of you because you're one. So you don't say, no, I'm married and you can can have my uh, cooperation here and here and here, but this is mine. No, your whole life together is one and you're to live it that way. So that's what he means by in everything. Every believer, and this is for every one of us, of course, every believer recognizes the supreme authority of Christ and his word. So, above all other authorities is Jesus Christ and his word. Remember, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to the Lord the things that are the Lord's. Well, we know that Caesar gets his authority from the Lord. Romans 13.1, the powers that be are ordained by God. So, God says, Caesar, this is your sphere of authority. Husband, this is your sphere of authority. Mom and dad, this is your sphere of authority, and so on and so forth. And each one has their proper sphere and limits. 
But Jesus Christ is the a supreme authority of all. So let me give you a couple of examples. The Hebrew midwives were told back under Pharaoh that any Israelites who had a son, they were to kill the son, right? Let him die. The Hebrew midwives defied the Pharaoh, and God was pleased. Esther, remember Esther? She risked banishment because she requested an audience with the king when he had not called her to come. But she did it for the sake of God's people to save their lives because they were in jeopardy in his kingdom. And so she took her life into her own hands, and God blessed her. Remember some of the most unusual names that you've ever come across? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, they defied the great king of all kings, Nebuchadnezzar, and were thrown into the fire. And God was pleased, and he saved them. They met Jesus in that fire. Did you know that? Because the king looked in, and he said, wait a minute, we put three men in there. There's four down there. And the fourth one looks like a son of God. So if you really want to see Jesus, do his will, not your will. Or how about Daniel himself? He prayed when everybody was told not to pray except to the king, and he got thrown where? To the lion's den, but something kept those mouths, lions shut, those lions' mouths shut. <laughs> and so Daniel saw the angels at work there. The apostles respectfully disobeyed the very same authorities that crucified Jesus Christ, and God was pleased. And the place where they were praying was shaken because God said, yes, you put me ahead of all others. So yeah, a husband doesn't have a right to tell his wife to do whatever he wants her to do. It's, and us husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So we are to obey man's authority unless it were to disobey God, Right? That's, that's becoming, it seems, more relevant to me as a citizen of the United States of America as well as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And hopefully I'll have the courage when or should the time come where I have to stand up and say to my government, no, you will not have my obedience. Come and get me. Do what you have to do. Amen? All right, in the second place, submission does not mean giving up independent thought as though submission is based on lesser intelligence or competence. We know that's not true. God made both the man and the woman in his image. So submission doesn't mean that the little mouse just runs into the corner and, corner and hides until she's called. Uh-uh. Notice, first of all, here in Ephesians 5.22. What's, what's the first word in verse 22? Wives. Is this the word of God? God is addressing the wives. He doesn't say, now, husbands, go tell your wife this. The word of God addresses the wives because of your dignity, your nobility, because you're made in the image of God too. Same thing in Colossians 3.18, the other central passage, or 1 Peter chapter 1, the other chapter 3, the other central passage. The main passages, the wives are addressed by Paul, by Peter, and that means by God. So the word of God addresses the wives themselves. In 1 Peter chapter 3, where it talks about wives and husbands there, some of the wives were believers and their husbands were not believers. I ask you this question. In a pairing of two people, when one is a believer and the other is not, who's the wiser? 
Who has it more together? Who's more competent? Of course. And yet, Peter says, even in that situation, the wife was to submit to her husband. And so he also tells her that it's okay for her to try to win him to Christ, to take authority in the realm of salvation or redemption and, and seek to win her husband to Christ. Now, there it says without a word, so you don't preach him into the kingdom, but you serve and you love and your purity and your chastity and your kindness and your goodness and your Christ-likeness will be a powerful means to persuade an unbelieving husband to Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the Christian husband recognizes his wife as his help meet. Though the idea of helper, helper is partner or companion. We are on equal terms in terms of we're both made in the image of God. We share the same God-like quality, God-like value, God-like worth. Even though she's the helper who is fitted or suitable to this man that she's married to. So the man sees his wife as his God-given partner, his companion, his equal as God's image, and the one who fits him and therefore completes him. And the wise husband says, I need her. I need her input. I want to know what she thinks. I want to know what she feels. Remember the old saying? I don't see it in the Bible maybe, but two heads are better than... That's sometimes true. Unless both heads are knuckleheads. But, but when you are married, you have another set of eyes to see through. You have another set of ears to hear through. You have another set of ideas. I can't tell you how many times, and those of you who have been married for a while, you probably know this true, that sometimes your wife says something, you go, wow, that's a really good idea. I never even thought of it. And maybe sometimes your wife will say that about you. <laughs> you have two more helping hands. Two more shoulders to bear the burdens of life. But I do have some Bible verses on this. You know what Ecclesiastes 4 says, right? You don't? Well, let's look at it. Ecclesiastes 4. Let's see if we can get there first. Ecclesiastes 4. I win. Ecclesiastes 4. Look at this. I love this passage. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but it seems like when you add another person to your job, you get done more than twice as fast. Then verse 10, very serious. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Hmm, I wonder what that third party is in your marriage. Oh, God. Oh, wow. So you and your spouse and your God are powerful. You can meet things together that by yourself you would have a lot more trouble with. And I have a quotation that I really like. It's from a book by Ray Ortland. Um, it's really good. Um, 
and I, I'm reading through it, and I'm, I wish I'd been, I wish I had read through that before I started this Ephesians passage. But anyhow, I'm still learning. But this is what he says. What's more, the New Testament offers no alternative design, no pattern of marital life that excludes excludes the submission of a wife. Naturally and rightly, a wife will at times disagree with her husband. She will think for herself. She will ask questions, express her reservations, and help her husband see a problem from another angle of vision. Her counsel will add value to her husband, and a wise husband will seek his wife's input. Still, in the end, the husband is uniquely responsible, responsible to bear the burden as head. And a Christian wife will always want to be asking herself, how can I represent to my husband something of the church's joyful submission to Christ our head? Well, I think that's a good quote. Number three, submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband. I want to say that again, because people like me are often accused that we don't believe this, and and we're just saying it. But I'm saying it, and I believe it wholeheartedly. Submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband. May I never see the day where my wife decides to just let me go the way I want to go, and sees what's going to happen and lets it happen. Unless she needs to teach me a lesson, maybe. (laughs) Peter says the wife of an unbelieving husband should help her husband come to Christ. What more powerful place of persuasion can there be than that? I mean, where is there more opposition and stubbornness and resentment than somewhere like that when you're trying to win somebody to Christ? I mean, have you ever tried to win somebody to Christ and what you thought was a fairly uh, enjoyable relationship suddenly became very soured and and broken and never the same again? Sure. It's just such a volatile area of life for people to say, well, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. Now, this is especially true for the husband who has a believing wife. She's not only my partner as a fellow image of God, but she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's how Peter puts it. And so I really should listen to her. I need to listen to her. And she needs to feel confident that she can speak, even if I say, not, 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 I don't see it that way. But I appreciate you uh, explaining what you think there. But let me show you something in Proverbs 31. So if you're still in Ecclesiastes, you're close to Proverbs So back up just a little bit, a couple of pages, and you'll look at Proverbs 31. Now look at the, this woman is in a little better position than most of you ladies here today. She's a king's wife or daughter. And um, so she has some resources that most of us don't have. But anyhow, I want you to see the dignity and the honor and the usefulness and the purposefulness of this beautiful woman. So it's Proverbs 31. We have read this as a scripture reading earlier, um, some weeks back. So Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. Ponder those words for a little while. 
to trust somebody. Man, before I became a Christian, I stopped trusting everybody. The only person I trusted was my sister, Susan. Whenever I went anywhere, if I took somebody with me, I'd only take her because I didn't trust anybody else. I was getting paranoid because of some of the things I'd gone through and some of the things that had happened to me. But here is a person you can safely trust in, and you will have no lack of gain. It's good for you. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. who She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. That's what I was saying. I don't know that many of you have maidservants hanging around. You have to provide for them. But you see who's managing the house, who's managing the servants. It's the wife. And she's... Uh, She's an entrepreneur as well, you'll see. She also rises while it is yet night. I'm sorry, verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. She's in real estate. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. Well, that's why I say she's a vineyard. She's not just buying and selling property. She's establishing a business. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. And her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She's, she's hardworking. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches her hands to the needy. She's compassionate. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. In other words, she's, she knows about the weather. She gets ready and makes sure her family's protected. This is the wife being the protector. Isn't that interesting? She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. This is a fulfillment of uh, the second part of verse 11. He will have no lack of gain. It says that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. This means that this man's reputation, this man is a leader, this man has authority in the community and a lot of it's based on the kind of wife he has. And then it says uh, in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Again, she's entrepreneurial. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She has a good future. Ladies, you have a good future as you serve your family. She opens. It doesn't always feel that way in the moment, does it? But read the book. Read the book. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. There it is, see? She's a woman of wisdom, a woman of kindness. Got to listen, pay attention. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There again, somebody is watching over the family, protecting. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And he says, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And then this blows me away. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own, let her own works praise her where? In the gates. That's where they make business decisions. That's where they make political decisions in the community. And she's got a reputation there. Everybody knows that is a fine woman. 
So, yeah, submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband, not at all. Now, this is for us husbands. If you'll take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Here's a story about a man who gets him, is about to get himself killed and his wife comes to his rescue, saves his life. 1 Samuel 25. Look at verses 2 and 3. I'm not going to go through the whole story, just way ahead. Don't have any time for that, but you'll get the gist of it. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 2. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. That means he was very rich. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding. Good understanding. She was wise, intelligent, godly, and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. So you see the picture? Beautiful wife, wise woman, and this very nasty fellow. They're married. So probably their marriage was arranged, I would imagine. So what happens is this guy's got lots and lots of sheep, and they're all over the countryside. And just happened to be David and his men were on the run from Saul, the king, and he was out there in the wilderness, and David and his men helped take care of these sheep gratis. They did it. Now, in many cases, soldiers with weapons are scary especially if they're on the run and they're rebels, and they will help themselves to what they need because they need to eat too, right? So David and his men took care of the sheep and did a really good job. So <laughs> sheep were healthy, the sheep were being shorn, and uh, Nabal was going to uh, uh, enjoy a, a wonderful profit for add to his riches. And David sent some men down to Nabal to ask for a little food. A little sustenance. We were there. We helped you out. We didn't charge you for it. But would you show us some kindness and, and provide for us? So Nabal says, basically, I don't know anybody who's just a runaway slave. And sent David's men packing. So they go back to David and they say, David, do you know what this fellow said to us and to you? And David said, every man in the place, strap on your swords. We're going down to kill them all. That's what David was going to do. He's going to go down and kill them all. So that's, that's where I want to pick up the story in the Bible. So if you'll take a look now at verse 14. Now one of the young women, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. It means he offended and insulted them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, you know, a wall of protection. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know, Abigail, and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household." For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. <laughs> Any scoundrels around here? 
Any men that nobody can talk to? Hmm? Well, Abigail loads up from their riches and heads out to intercept David and his men, which she does, and David changes his mind. And he actually blesses God and thanks her for, for keeping him from committing murder. That's what it would have been, murder. It would have gone very badly for David, who is going to be the, the next king of Israel, right? There is no greater fool than the man who doesn't prize and honor his wife above himself. I don't know what the name Abigail means, but I do know what the name Nabal means. Do you? It's Hebrew for fool. Now, maybe that will tell you a little bit by, about why Nabal turned out the way he did, to have parents that would name him that. It's one of the biblical mysteries for me that I'd like to check out when I get to heaven. But men, are you a Nabal or are you a Christian? Think about it. Fourth, submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. All right? I know I've been saying this over and over and over again, but do you live where I live in the 21st century? Do you live where I live where this has been attacked every year for many years now in all institutions? I've got to be clear. I've got to repeat myself. I've got to make it so obvious that you hopefully will not forget and you will not be ashamed of being a Christian, whether a man or woman or a wife or a husband. <clears throat> Jesus, the Son of God, was subject to his parents. Jesus, the Son of God, was subject to his Father. Godly believers are subject to ungodly employers, etc., etc., etc. Paul calls for the wife's submission. Actually, I should say, Peter calls for the wife's submission to an unbelieving husband. It happens all the time. Better men often are in the service of not as good men and women, right? It just happens. It's a fallen world. We talked about equality is not sameness. So, like I said, I may be repeating myself, but this is in part, on, that is on my part, intentional. I don't want to be misunderstood, and I don't want to be misquoted. But I really don't care about me so much as I want you to know God's truth. And I want you to know God's truth, especially where and when it counts. And here we are. This is the time it really counts, and it's really important that we know what we believe, we know why we believe it, and we can still say God is good all the time, no matter what. These truths are under attack inside the church and outside the church. You know what? If it was only outside the church, I wouldn't be as concerned, but it, the, these truths are under attack inside the church in major ways. Now, I don't know if you all realize this, but as a pastor and somebody who's really into theology and really into knowing the Word of God and into looking at what the culture's doing and going on, I know all over the place this is under attack, and it's under attack within evangelical uh, Christianity. So we must know what we believe we must believe what we believe, and we must affirm what we believe and do it out loud because God is greater than all. Jesus Christ is supreme, no one else. I don't care what their name is, and I don't care what position they hold in the church or in the government or anywhere else. Um, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we also need to be ready to confess that truth when someone challenges us over it. 
And some of you may need to be able to confess that truth when you're being challenged by your own heart and your own mind. When you might be thinking within yourself, I don't like this, Lord. I don't want this to be the case, Lord. I want it to be something else. Lord, you don't understand my situation. Well, he probably does. But you need to know this for your own heart, your own, your own peace of mind, your own ability to make it through another day if it's really hard in your particular personal set of circumstances. And then finally, let me ask all the husbands here today, do you honor your God-given companion as your helpmeet, as, as a fellow heir of the grace of life, as the woman God gave you, whose worth is far above rubies? Do you seek her help? Do you depend on her wisdom? And do you depend upon her counsel? Do you seek it out and say, listen, well, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Will you pray with me? This is really hard. I, I didn't even know whether to bring it up to you, but I heard what he said, and I've been reading the Bible, and I know I, I need, let me get your input, your eyes on this, your ears, your mind, your ideas. Brothers, is your name Nabal, or is it Christian? Let's pray. Father, I pray that every, every wife in this place will feel it to be a privilege and an honor because of you, Jesus, and because of us men, Lord. I, I know, Lord, that I, I'm not always that kind of a man. And I would imagine that most of my brothers here who are married will have to admit we're not always that kind of a man. But Lord, you've brought this to our attention today. So Lord, help us. Help us to be the men you want us to be. And then I want to plead with you on behalf of my dear sisters that are married. Lord, I know they, they all are in different sets of circumstances and situations. And, and I pray you, knowing each one, loving each one, that you will be there for them as they go through this. So that as they live out their lives as submissive wives, it will be asked to you, Lord. And not only to your honor and your glory, but seeking you for your help in those really difficult times when it's hard. Oh, Lord, we cry out to you. We, we are people with many faults. Lord, many inconsistencies. Lord, if our salvation depended on being reliable, we would all despair. But, Lord, you're reliable. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once again, we cry out to you, forgive our sins, but work in us to be more like you, Lord Jesus. And may we see even our marriages are a very important part of you working in us to be the men and women you would have us to be. And these things we pray together in Jesus' name, amen.